Hello, my name is Kristen and I am obsessed with all things play-based and child-led learning. Truly obsessed. I am here to help you navigate the messy and the magical on your journey to a play-based program. It is truly magical on the other side and I want you to feel each day what I feel when I walk into my classroom. I am the homeschool mama to four. I'm the founder of a play and nature-based preschool and forest school and I am here to cheer you on. I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's get going. Good morning, Nikki. Hi, Kristen. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. How are you this afternoon? I'm very good. Thanks. It's a beautiful day here. I was at the beach this morning. I think like the beach anywhere has my heart. So someday I will live near the ocean, but right now I just live by lakes. So we have a lot of lakes in our state that we live in. At the moment, are they all frozen? Yep. They're all frozen right now. Mm -hmm. You can go skating. Yeah, we do a lot of ice skating and we do, well, ice fishing, like people put houses out on the lake, like little tiny houses. Have you ever heard of ice fishing? No, but that sounds terrifying because doesn't the ice crack? Like I've seen too many horror movies where people fall like into the ice and all. Yeah. I mean, it does happen. There's certain parts of the lake where you have like, and being a Minnesotan, like you just, you kind of know these things because you grow up around it. So you know where. You can drive most of the time and where you can't drive most of the time. I refuse to go on the lake in a car, but you have yeah. to like make sure all your windows are rolled down because like, if you go in, you need to be able to get out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, it, sounds, it sounds similar to growing up in South Africa. We're like that about crime. Yeah. <laughs> you just know where you can and can't go and keep your windows locked and, you know, don't exactly. drive down that street. And it's quite hectic. Oh my gosh. Okay. So for, for podcast listeners, this is Nikki. She reached out on Instagram and had some questions about play-based learning and starting a program in South Africa. And, um, so she reached out, had questions. And I said, you know what? Like, there's probably so many people that have these same questions. And so like, would you be willing to do a zoom call with me and I'll record it so that other people can learn from it too. And she was totally on board. So that is what we're doing today. We have not planned anything. So we're just going to like shoot this organically so that everybody can learn from this conversation. So I'm all yours for how an hour and oh, you just amazing. fire away and I'll answer what I can. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much yeah. for this opportunity. Honestly, I feel so blessed and lucky like when you replied to me on Instagram I was like ah she replied (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I'm sure you're so busy you probably have like a million people inboxing you but Mm. um, thank you for making time on your Saturday morning yeah Um, well okay so tell me if you have more to say you can add but I want you to start out by telling people about you and like what your plan is and like what what you're doing in South Africa and your vision for what you want to create there. Yeah. Okay. So I am for the last four years, I've been working at an advertising agency um, here in Port Elizabeth in South Africa. And prior to that, I was living overseas in South Korea 
um, teaching. So I studied at university. I did an undergrad in psychology and then I did a postgrad in teaching. And then I went over to Korea and the, the aim at, the, at first was just to teach for one year teaching English as a foreign language. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up staying on to a total of four years and working at an international school in a boarding house and teaching English in the high school, um, incidentally. And then I came back to South Africa because I was like, well, I guess four years is a long time. Let me go back home and settle a little bit. And then I sort of just like accidentally got into this corporate line of work for a bit. So I took a bit of a break from teaching, but especially this last year, I mean, COVID, I feel like COVID was like a reset for a lot of people. um, And a lot of um, things became super clear to me that like this wasn't really my my industry and I didn't feel like I was operating in my space of like my greatest talents mm-hmm. <laughs> or in, in, even what I gravitate towards um, and so I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and a lot of just yeah I felt like I was putting too much of my mental health was being put into something that wasn't really my wow. forever thing so then mm-hmm. I just was like you know what I need to just take this bold step and I need to just resign and my true dream is to start a school um, for young children so pre um pre grade i mean in south africa we talk about it as grade r which is the year just before school i don't know okay. if that is i don't know if that's like the equivalent of your kindergarten that would um, be our equivalent of preschool so okay that would be three four and five year olds okay so yeah so in south africa the, the official schooling system starts in grade r which is when the year that you turn six Oh, okay. So that would be like kindergarten yeah. if that's official school. Yeah. Yeah. So then anything before that is obviously preschool or okay. play school or whatever else. So, um, and it doesn't really fall under the education department. It falls under the social, social services department. Same. So, yeah. So that's what I'm, 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 that's the age and stage that I'm really wanting to focus on. But in South Africa, we've got a lot of traditional play schools or preschools um, and I've been just doing a lot of research recently into the, the sort of non-traditional world and the world mm-hmm. of play-based learning, especially Radio Media Inspired. Um, and it's just like really, really in, like moving me. And I'm just like, I need <laughs> to create a space like this because I, I haven't been exposed to one. I know that there probably are centers or at least um, schools around that probably do it that I just don't know of um, here in South Africa but I think a lot of what I'm used to is the very traditional way and like plastic mm-hmm. fantastic you know and I, I don't yep. want to do that I want to have something that's just like nature-based play-based outdoors as much as possible um, natural materials um, mm-hmm. etc but so I think what I discussed with you on Instagram briefly was I'm just feeling because I've been out of the classroom for a long time so I'm mm-hmm. sort of feeling a little bit like inexperienced um and also just like not knowing where to start in terms of like the business model you know mm-hmm. it's, it kind of feels a little bit deep endish so yeah that's why I was interested in hearing from you your journey and you know like how and and where and when did you sort of launch into this thing you're doing now um did you start like really small with like a couple of children or did you first work on developing this program that that you could then roll out with a much bigger class um yeah okay I'll just start talking so um I uh however many years ago, I don't even know. I should actually like put this in a timeline because I have to tell people a lot. Like 
when my play journey started and all that stuff. So I was working in a traditional preschool classroom and I went to school like college for teaching. And I have like an early childhood um, certification on my teaching degree. However, I mean, I, I really, I mean, college can be so wonderful for so many people. However, everything that I've learned for what I'm doing right now, I learned completely on my own. It was completely self-directed and it was completely because I was interested and like wondered about things just like you, like you start this path of just digging and wanting to learn more. And it's, that's play. Like you are learning through play right now because you're choosing it. You're interested in it. And that is what play-based learning does for young children too. That's so, so good. this feeling of flow that you may feel yourself in when you start reading about Reggio Emilia influence yeah. programs or reading about play-based learning, that's a flow state. And that's the state that young children enter into when they are allowed the time, mm. the space and the freedom to make their own choices about how they spend their time in the environment. Mm. Um, okay. So back to, I teaching in a traditional program, um, you know, a full of like, Oh, you can't do that. This is what you need to be doing at this time. Sit crisscross Mm. applesauce, um, walking down the hallway in lines, Mm. um, just very, very teacher directed. And I was stressed out. I was worn out. I was continually spending time trying to figure out behavior management and classroom management in the classroom. And I, um, went to a conference, Lisa Murphy, she is known as the ooey gooey lady. And (laughs) she spoke and I was like enamored. She spoke about play-based learning and how we all learn through play and what that looks like. And that children aren't getting the chance to do that. And, um, that sent me on a tailspin journey and later. So that was like in the spring of my second year of teaching preschool in our traditional program. Then the next fall, like September, I went to another conference with a man. Um, his name is Jeff Johnson and he, uh, like again, sent me on a tailspin. I ended up quitting my job, giving my notice in like March of that year that I was going to be done. And in the meantime, I was working for a church as their Christian education director. And the pastor came to me. I don't know. It was probably like, it was probably like this, like August of the year before I quit time. I should, I really need to put a timeline together. (laughs) Um, (laughs) he, He said, what do you, what do you think about starting a preschool here? I was like, I, I have no idea how to do that. And he's like, well, you're a big girl. Like you can figure it out. I was like, can I like, (laughs) I don't know. So I sat on that for quite some time. And then I think I had just been fed up after learning so much about play and reading so much about how the brain works and, Mm. um, realizing that the things that I was doing in the classroom were not working for the children at all. And it was more of a show for the parents and the community because that's what is expected. Like that is societal view of education is that you have to sit to learn and that you have to listen to the teacher. And, um, I think there's a lot of anxiety around like school readiness, you know, like so much of what I've been seeing, it's just like, oh, but are you preparing the kids for, um, for the next grade? 
Um, yes. Even this, this last week, I spent some time volunteering. One of my friends is a teacher in a pre-grade R class. So her, her children are four turning five. And she so sweetly said, like, I could come hang out with her at school for a few days and just kind of be around little children again, which was amazing. Yes. And there was a, a, one of the older grades teacher popped in to have a chat the one morning. And I was talking to her and she was like, oh, well, I'm so happy to hear you're starting a school. Please, whatever you do, just prepare them for when they come up here I mean honestly we get children from these play-based um, schools and they just they can't even hold a pair of scissors when they get to us and I thought to myself like I could understand the attention behind what she was saying but it just resonates with me so much a lot of what I've been seeing on your feed as well it's just like no I'm not preparing your child for the next grade like that's mm-hmm. not what we're doing here you know like Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, um, we're letting them be the age that they are. We are embracing yeah. them for who they are right now in this moment and giving them exactly what they need right now, yeah. not two years down the road. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that's a whole entire like soapbox thing for me too. I just, it, that is a hard thing to break, but I think there's, I think, I think I'm seeing a shift a little bit yeah. with the amount of people who are, um, learning more about play and advocating for it and making small changes in their communities. So, okay. I back to, so I quit. I started researching. I read the book last child in the woods by Richard Louvre. And I was like, oh my gosh, my kids, like kids need to be outside. So that's kind of where I, like my, my, um, it hit me. It was like, okay, I need to start something that's different than everything else that's in our community and what does that look like so yeah uh, in order to be successful I mean that's just a a simple like business strategy is finding your niche and then you stick to that niche and you don't falter and you set up your mission and your vision and your values around that niche and ours is nature and play-based so um I did a whole bunch of research, just my own Googling. I mean, Google's your best friend and (laughs) um, finding organizations that support, um, nonprofits, startups. Um, do you have, okay. So is what's the structure of like business in South Africa? Are you familiar with any of that? Or is that something you still need to find out? Um, I, I'm sort of familiar. I mean, you obviously can go nonprofit or you just, okay. can, or you just like sole enterprise or social enterprise, or, yeah. you know, there's a bunch of different types. So yeah, I still need to figure out, I think that, I think that I, I don't want to go the nonprofit route because mm-hmm. I think that that op- opens up a whole different can of worms. And then that's obviously applying for funding each year. And um, I think I would like to create something that's its own self-sustaining model. Yep. Um, yeah, so, but I do still need to do some figuring around what that's going to look like, you know, in terms of like the business model, like, is it an investment model or, you know, do I have outside investors? And you know, Yes. Okay. So I'm going to point you in the direction of a website here in the United States. And it might be, um, a lot of it probably is really applicable to um, anywhere in the world. It's yeah. called First Children's Finance. It's firstchildrensfinance.com. And it's actually, I think, a Minnesota-based nonprofit organization that it's a a nonprofit bank, I believe, but it also provides so much education around um, starting up a childcare, budgeting, Mm. it 
there's, there's so many answers you will find on that website, even if you're not from the United States, another person to, yeah, another person to check into. And he's also from Minnesota. I believe his name is Tom Copeland, C-O-P-E-L-A-N-D. He has amazing resources as well for the business side of childcare, starting up a childcare. Um, so those two tools have been super helpful for me in my journey. That's um, great. No, thanks. Yeah. And then there's a website called Hi Mama. I think it's a Canadian based company. It's um, H I, and I think it's just M A M A. Hi Mama. And I know that recently I downloaded a budgeting template from them that was okay. super helpful when I was working on my um, next year's projected budget. Okay. So those could be all fantastic tools for anyone to use to just get a start. Um, we are a nonprofit. And the reason that I went nonprofit is because I had no money of my own. <laughs> so you needed to apply for funding and that's exactly. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so, um, I think one of the biggest things that I can tell people when you are starting something up is a, generally, if you're starting something up, you have an extreme passion for it. You have yeah. a drive to make it happen. And I think what helped me most is talking about it. And, um, I mean, also that has a little bit to do with energy and I feel like I kind of run at a really high vibration state. And so people are attracted to that. And so that helps when you have energy and um, positivity around what you're doing. So, um, talking a lot about what you're doing, but also being careful not to, um, be too negative in what you're that, not doing. Exactly. Yeah, like I hear you. why you're not doing it. So mm. maybe listing all of the positive reasons of why you're doing what you're doing, but kind of leaving behind the negative vibe of yeah. like, I mean, we all fall into that, but that's just a little tidbit that I've learned along my journey mm. that I've you know, obviously taken a fall from a few times, just from like talking bad about <laughs> things. Yeah. So I learned yeah. um, just to it's be so, That's such good advice though, really, because I think as humans, we all fall into that. It's a, it's really natural to want to, you know, you, you're, you're trying to set up the opposites. So you're like, I'm doing this because this doesn't work, you know, but you also don't want to sabotage yourself or you don't want to, you know, like. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I'm at a point now. So like I use my Instagram platform as a place to say, like, stop doing this because it's not developmentally appropriate or adults should not be expecting this of children. And here's why. So like, there's a little bit of like, what I try to do is get more of a shock value now, but I can do that because I'm established and whatnot in what I'm doing. It's two separate things anyway. Um, okay. So we started a nonprofit um, because I had zero money and then just worked really hard to get money. I, through talking with lots of people and getting people excited about it, I had people step up and like offer to write grants. I had somebody like a lawyer who stepped up to do all of the, um, nonprofit paperwork that needed to be done. He did it pro bono. It was amazing. Um, somebody who filled out all of the nonprofit paperwork that we had to apply to go with to the IRS. Um, and 
we just, I just went for it. I remember vividly there, there's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be people who are like, that's dumb. Or like, this is like a dream. Like this is not going to work, but you need to trust your intuition. Like it's there for a reason. Mm. And if you feel the pull to do this, just keep going. Don't let the people who are like, that's never going to work here. Get you down. Yeah. I had, I had done like a meeting within the church because the church wanted to know like what I was proposing the church at that point in time. Like when we were first, the idea was first a thing. Um, the church had to decide if they wanted to fund it or if I needed to do it on my own. And so I had been presenting to a bunch of different groups within the church. And one of the men at the meeting, the first meeting said, um, so do you have a date that you're going to pull the plug on this idea? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, every business needs to have a date where they just say this isn't working. Wow. Let's pull the plug. And I was like, well, I don't have one. Yeah. Well, so I don't want one. (laughs) (laughs) No. And and then he said, uh, he was like, um, what about May 14th? And I was like, you're seriously putting a date. So in my head, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like you don't believe in this. Like you are a naysayer. So I told him, I said, I will give you a date. However, I am also going to take a picture of the very long line when registration opens and I'm going to send it to you. I said this and now he became like one of my biggest supporters because I was like, I believed in it. And I did, Mm. I took a picture and I sent it to him and I said, here you go. Yeah. Um, Sure. So yeah, you have to just keep going no matter what, do something little every single day yeah. or big every single yeah. day in order to propel this idea forward. You need to like, if it's something that you really want to happen, set aside, aside time just for learning and growing and digging yeah. to figure out what you need to do. And there are going to be times where you feel like, oh my gosh, this is the worst idea I've ever had in my life. But if you have that intuition, if you have that gut and you have that drive, just push through it and make yourself do something anyway. Mm, that's so good. Um, yeah. So we started out, my goal was to start with 16 kids and two teachers. We okay. started, we opened with 30 two or 33 students and four teachers. Wow, sure. So, so, that with, was, so business model wise, did you, was that 16 and two, was that number what you needed in order for the thing to be sustainable? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that was based on, well, at that time we didn't have to pay, the church was not charging us any rent which was amazing for the first couple of years. So that was a phenomenal thing that the church did for us. And now we pay, I mean, a a decent chunk of money every month to be there, but we are much more established now. So, um, yes, the high mama budgeting template that I told you about, like that is really going to help you. I mean, it's actually super simple. Like I'm not a budget person. I'm not a finance person at all. It overwhelms me so much, but I didn't actually realize how simplistic it can be. Um, if, if budgeting is not your thing and accounting is not your thing, I would definitely recommend getting an accountant on your side and helping with those things because 
there were things that I messed up on way in the beginning that could have saved so much time and could have, could have given us a lot more money that, so what happened was, is I filed, um, I filed our nonprofit paperwork and I checked the wrong box on one thing saying that we were going to be a private foundation instead of a nonprofit organization. Uh, I didn't know, like, I didn't know. And we didn't find out about that mistake until like five years in. When uh, we were applying for grants and the grant people came back and said, well, you can't even get a grant because you're a foundation. I was like, what does that even mean? And so we had to go back and refile all of our paperwork to be an actual, like a charity. So, wow, I know. So So, anyway, I'm asking so many questions about this model. So with your, with your nonprofit status, does your how does enrollment work? Do the students who come to your school pay school fees? And, yes, then do do. Those, mm-hmm. and then do those school fees obviously go into the model of costs for the center and then paying salaries to the teachers and buying resources, et cetera? Exactly. We are mostly funded by tuition. Okay. Um, we do get grants every once in a while. We do fundraisers in order to make a little bit of extra money for certain things, but otherwise- yeah our tuition pays for our whole entire staff salaries um, and most of the costs of the preschool. So we make it so like our budget, our tuition coming in um, that we wouldn't have to do any fundraisers, fundraisers at all with the amount of tuition coming in. We can pay our staff. We can pay all of our expenses with tuition 100%. And all of the other things that we bring in are bonus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Good yeah. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the state of not our, um, even for-profit childcare in the United yeah. States is that tuition and fees cover mostly everything because yeah. we don't get any state funding whatsoever. Yeah. I know we won't either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. It, budgeting is not, it's not my thing. So I can budget. Like I never had worked an Excel spreadsheet or a Google sheet before I started. I had no idea how to like even add cells between like <laughs> two cells together to get a sum. I didn't know anything and I figured it out. My budget spreadsheets probably don't look as well as other people's, but like I understand them and my board of directors. That's the other thing about a nonprofit is you have to have a board of directors in the United States. Um, they, they just have learned that like <laughs> my spreadsheets maybe don't look like a traditional person's spreadsheet. But I think you're right. I think it is really simple. It needs to be like this plus this equals this. And this is bigger mm-hmm. than this. And that's income exactly. and that's expenditure. Like that's, that's it. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. That yeah. The number coming in needs to be <laughs> bigger than the number going out. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, um, I mean, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry. You go. <laughs> oh, you keep going. I was just going to keep talking, but like, give me a question. <laughs> um, so in terms of timelines, like I know this is so subjective and personal, but like from when yeah. you started doing all this digging and, and researching and planning, how long did the process take you from that to actually opening? Mm, good question. It was about a two-year process total. That okay. was from the start of me saying like six months after the pastor came to me and said, you should open a preschool. 
to me going back to him and saying, I have an idea and I'm ready to start. So from that time to the time we opened, what? Well, no, I'm going to say it was about 18 months because I went to him in about like January of 2013 and we opened in September of 2014. Okay. And it's a lot of that has to do with licensing. Yeah. It was licensing and then trying to get grant money to start. Yeah. Were the two that, biggest things. The licensing obviously takes long. It's the same in South Africa. I think from what I've heard, licensing can take up to three years in South Africa. So I know. So that's really hard. But then I think what, what you can do is you can start operating earlier and obviously just be have proof that you're in the process of getting your registration. Okay. Um, and then also it's about the numbers. So I've heard a couple of different sources, but apparently it's like less than 10 children and you don't have mm-hmm. to necessarily be registered as an ECD um, institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can, as you grow, then you obviously like wait for your registration to come before you can add more kids and that type of thing. So oh, interesting. So, there you go. Yeah. So there's yeah, definitely, there's definitely workarounds, I think in many places, like for instance, we have, um, like a forest school program that we run too. So we head out to the woods a few times a week, but there's many programs that are operating without a building. And like, how hot does it get in South Africa where you live? It gets probably to, to about 35 degrees Celsius. Which <laughs> I'm like, oh, what yeah. is that I don't even, I don't I don't even, even know. know. It's hot. <laughs> it's it's <very> so hot. <laughs> um, so we deal with extreme cold here. Um, I have to look up what 35 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit. I'm Googling It's probably it right never now. been that temperature in your life. I see. Oh, 95. I mean, yeah, it gets to be 95 sometimes here in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. okay. Like, are you humid? Is it humid there or is it like a dry climate? No, it's sort of moderate. Like, because we live... Like up further up north on the east coast, like in Durban, there it gets very humid. That's very tropical. And then obviously down okay. in Cape Town in the west, it's not humid. But PE is kind of halfway between those two. So we get a bit of humidity. There'll be like a spell for like a week where everyone's walking around dying. And then it gets back <laughs> to normal. It's just very windy here. That's our climate, oh my word, always. Oh. Um, interestingly, I don't know. We're close to the sea. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh. I know that. So another thing to look into is the forest school philosophy. Um, Yes. I have um, been reading about that as well. It's so great. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. So there's lots of programs that operate in the United States without a building at all. They meet in parks and like county parks or state parks, like and they can kind of get around licensing a little bit that way, depending on how many hours you're with the children and how many yeah. kids you're with. And if you're yeah. affiliated with a nonprofit and how old they are. So like there's, there's workarounds, but those workarounds take a little bit to figure out. Like I didn't yeah. recognize all those workarounds until I was already in it. Um, yeah. So you and- said you offer a forest school program as part of your program. Is it kind yes. of like twice a week? You do a little bit of forest school activity. Yeah. So four mornings a week, we have a bus. So we have a bus and that the bus, I actually had to do a ton of fundraising for. So, um, we got some grants and we got some donations. And, um, one thing that like 
works really well for getting money, even probably for a for-profit is going to service clubs. Like we have like sportsmen's clubs and we have rotary clubs and lions clubs, like all these service clubs that are full of like old men who (laughs) um, have money that they put in this pot and then they like divvy it out. And so going to those and speaking, um, we've gotten quite a few donations that way. So anyway, we have a bus, it seats 13 kids and we, one, one teacher drives and then another seat is occupied by a teacher. So 15 on the bus and four mornings a week, they leave preschool and they go to one of our County parks and they just spend a couple hours outside in free unstructured play hiking and building forts and boot skating on ponds and sledding, like you name it, they do it. It's amazing. Um, and it's different children every day because we have, we have probably now, this is our seventh school year. We have 45 kids in our program on average. Um, and so it, and then we also, so we run, um, part-time we have part-time programming and we have full-time programming. So we do take, yeah, we do take kids. So one thing that was missing in our community, it's, I think it's really important to look at things that are like gaps that are missing that families need. So the preschool in our community at that point in time was half days, three hours a day or two and a half hours a day, parents had to pick up drop off. There was no transportation available and like, they'd have to leave work in order to come and pick up their kids at 1130 and then figure out where they're going to take them from there. So one thing that was so important to me because I had young children of my own Mm. and saw this, like I had to put my three-year-old on a public transportation bus at one point because, and like, that's what people do in our community they like trust their three-year-olds with these bus drivers like you don't I don't know I can't believe I ever did it but I I was like I didn't have a choice I I needed I was working I had a daycare in my home at that point I couldn't leave Mm. I had 12 kids I was caring for so um I realized that there was a need for kids to be able to go to preschool and stay there all day so that was one thing that was super important to me is making sure that um, we had that option for parents. So we started out with just Tuesday, Thursdays, kids could stay all day. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday was split into two half days. Um, but okay. our Tuesday, Thursday class was completely full wow. every year. And so then we were like, maybe we need to add the option of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, full day too. And so we did that. And then, um, I think three years ago, we decided to just like pull the trigger and we created a full-time Monday through Friday, 7.15 to 5.15 option. And over half of our kids use that sure. option now. Yeah. Um, so we have like 20 kids who are Monday through Friday full-time. Wow. And that's they, that we're their preschool, we're their full-time caregivers. And I also, I think that there's a lot of benefit to that too, because- yeah the relationships are key to mm. like optimal learning. So yeah, to be able great. to have that continuity of care, those same teachers every single day, instead of switching back and forth Monday, Wednesday, so Friday, like to daycare. Yeah. Mm. And then Tuesday, Thursday, preschool, the, the good that it does on the children and the attachment and the relation, they need those relationships in order for 
self-actualization or learning to happen, like optimal mm. learning to happen. So they need to feel that trust and that safety. And that's hard to do if you're going, you're flip flopping back and forth between a program that's super teacher directed and a program that's play-based. And we yeah, have, so true. we have found that that's, that can be super hard and confusing for kids. So, mm. um, yeah, we still offer like half days not, we don't have very many spaces anymore for half day kids. I think we kind of limit it to eight half day kids and that's it. And then we reserve 20 spaces for full-time kids. And then, um, the rest of the spaces are divvied out between the, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday kids or the Tuesday, Thursday kids. So, okay. And then what age group are your kids? three, four, and five, and we okay. are mixed age. So our oh, kiddos, I love that. yeah, they all are together and sure. there's so much magic in that. Yeah. There are trials too, because you have kids at all different play stages. And if you are unsure about like play stages and how that looks, um, that it can be hard as a educator to watch. So like and I think it's also my own, like my own baggage from being a kid that, I, that brings me into this, but it's like, you watch a three-year-old and they're at a totally different play stage than a five-year-old. Yeah. And it can be really uncomfortable when you watch even like a four-year-old playing all by themselves and you see them kind of like looking around and they really don't know how to enter into play, but that in itself is a whole entire play stage. And so you yeah. have to recognize that not everybody needs a to be playing with someone playing yeah. with. Yeah. Yes. So there's like a whole, when you have a mixed age group, there's just so many little like, um, nuances. Little nuances. That's what I was looking for that it's a, a little bit of a dance, but the benefits are so amazing watching like older kids or children who are just more developmentally advanced, being able to help children who maybe don't know how to zip their coat or like helping them, cheering them on. Um, sure. I it's mean, like the older sibling thing, you know, it it's is. like the beauty of having an older brother who can show you things and now they just get to have that at school, which is so exactly. great. Yes. And we do have sibling sets too, which is amazing to have them be able to do preschool for at least a year together yeah. before older one heads off to kindergarten. So that's been super fun to watch too. So then in terms of your classes, do you just divide your classes then at random? Like do you, how many kids do you have in one class? Okay. So our space, well, right now during COVID it's split into two spaces because of group size. Okay. Um, but at a general, like regular year, our classroom is one classroom. It's oh, wow. super large. It's huge. Mm. Um, I want to say it's like 2,500, 2,700 square feet. And well, and you probably don't know what that even means because it's not meters. The matrix so I'm not converting it. So <laughs> I'll just um, smile and nod. It's big. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, we're all in one space and we have bathrooms down the hall. Um, we have, so we can take up to 40 children in that one space at any one time. Sure. However, that's too many. So yeah. we limit it to 30 children in that one space, but that is with four, maybe five teachers at any given time. So we staff over with our teachers by one for sure. Sometimes 
during busy parts of the day, we have another one. Um, just because it's, I mean, there, that's a lot of kids with a lot of yeah. needs. And we also have a really big outdoor play space. Our outdoor classroom is giant too. So we need a lot of supervision and lots of the corners of the outdoor classroom. And mm. we need more staff because of that. So our program is more expensive than any other program in our town. Okay. But it's because of our niche. It's because of the support that children need in their play and in the environment and when they're outside. And it's also because like, we know what we're doing. (laughs) We've done the work to give children the most developmentally appropriate place environment that anybody could ever ask for, for their childhood. And many parents don't know that and don't understand that, but like that is one thing that I pride us on is that we are actually standing up for what children, what children need and what's developmentally appropriate. And I'm proud of that. And I won't budge from that. So that's so good. Yeah. So good. I love that. And what was the reason why you started from age three? Did, was that because of sort of potty training phase, et cetera? Like licensing. So our oh, licensing okay. splits children up into different categories based on age. And then okay. there's different requirements based on age. My expertise was with preschool age children. So mm-hmm. I didn't feel comfortable at that point in time having a toddler program or having infants at all. Plus we didn't have the space for it. So okay. um, I picked one, picked their niche, went for it. And now we're in the plans to expand, get our own building, get our own space and add um, toddlers and then eventually infants. So, um, and we did add school age a few years in as well. We didn't start with school age, but we have school age programming um, when school's not in session. So all summer. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So three, four and five is what we chose. And yes, they do have to be, um, able to use the toilet on their own when they start with us. However, that also isn't developmentally appropriate to expect that because all children learn at different times. And, um, it's almost a little bit discriminatory to say you can't come because you can't pee on the potty. However, with licensing, we are not licensed to change pull-ups or diapers. Um, so that is the reason why we don't accept anybody who, has to be in a pull-up or a diaper all day. So, yeah. I mean, if I, if licensing is, if that's not an issue in licensing and you're just thinking of going like preschool age or like four and five-year-olds, um, I would definitely do that differently. I would let anybody come no matter if they can go to the bathroom on the potty or not. And, Mm. but licensing tells us otherwise right now. So, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What else you got? <laughs> sure. Oh my gosh. So many things. Yeah. Like my, my, my brain is swimming now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess just maybe like a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about the structure of your day? If yeah. that isn't an oxymoron, because I know in play-based, you know, they obviously has to yeah. be structure, but it's not like didactic structure. Exactly. We have a routine and that's what we fall into. Sometimes the routine changes based on the weather. Um, so what our typical day looks like is, and, and this, I'm going to kind of do pre COVID because, um, I, I I love building relationships with parents and that's an important part 
right now parents can't come in our building. Um, so generally they walk their kiddo in and, Mm -hmm. um, there's always a teacher right at the door to greet. And that teacher then has, um, or we call play facilitator, not necessarily a teacher. I think that teacher has a connotation of like, I'm going to teach you all the things and you're going to learn all the things because I'm bigger than you. And I know what you need to know. So I really like to refer to it more as like a play facilitator or a facilitator okay. of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So we have one of our teachers near the door and we always do a morning check-in and mm-hmm. it's not required. We don't force children to do anything in our program. So, there is a morning check-in option. And what that is, is it's just a little tiny check for understanding just to see where kids are at with certain skills. And we, in Minnesota, we have a set of like benchmarks or standards called the Minnesota Childhood Early Indicators of Progress. And they are basically just split by age, um, birth through kinder, like the start of kindergarten. And it just kind of tells you the skills that are developmentally appropriate for children to be able to do at that point in time. Those unfortunately don't necessarily line up a lot with what kindergarten teachers are expecting or with um, parents, what parents think children need to know. And so, um, yeah, I I would definitely look into like finding out if South Africa or do you guys have states? Is that what you call them? Provinces. Provinces. If your province has any sort of like early childhood benchmarks to. Yeah, they definitely do. Yeah. They're called elders, early learning. I forget the development, developmental something, reading scale or something like that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) You can kind of guess what all the letters mean. They're kind of similar everywhere. So um, we will look at those when kind of planning those things out and say, okay, we need to check to see if this. Like this, if where their cutting skills are at, or we need to check to see like where their one-to-one correspondence counting is or patterning or whatever it may be. And so we just do something really fun and, um, they can do it if they want. They don't have to, if they don't want to, we chit chat with the parents a little bit and then they, they head out, say goodbye to their kiddo and then their kid runs and finds something to do. So we generally check in starts at 7.15 when the first kiddos start coming and it doesn't really end until 8.15. We have kids coming okay. in for over an hour, just spread out. And yeah, that's because all families are different. All families have yeah. a different rhythm and that's okay. And so we just, we are flexible and meet kids at the door whenever they come in. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be there at a certain time. Mm-hmm. We do have some regulation around not showing up early because we may not have enough staff there. Mm. So if you Mm. signed up to have your kiddo come at eight, they can't come any earlier than eight because Mm. we might not have enough staff there to provide the right amount of care per licensing. Um, So we're a little bit stricter on that. And and definitely a pickup time too, because you can't have kids there later than what they say they're going to be there because of staffing. Yeah. So, um, morning check-in. And then the whole room is open. The whole room is set up. Um, when the teachers come in in the morning before kids arrive, they get all of the things ready, the paint at the Mm -hmm. easel, setting out art supplies on the tables. Um, we have found definitely during like the beginning of the school year that kids aren't going to necessarily just grab things off of the shelves in the art area. And so we set things out on the table just to kind of maybe inspire or, um, just to kind of give them a, um, 
a few things to pick from. So it's not so yeah. overwhelming for coming from the shelf mm. and sensory tables out. Like they have free access to everything that's set out in the room and they can take it wherever they want. Most of the time, there are a few limits. Um, our three rules of the classroom are it's okay. If it's not hurting anyone, hurting anything or hurting yourself. So we very much try to be what I call a yes environment, which Mm. means like finding a way to say yes to something, because if a kiddos say they're picking up and throwing a block, they're, they're showing that they have a need for throwing something. So what Mm. can you provide instead to fulfill that need that's safe? Um, so then yeah, they just, they have unstructured, uninterrupted free play for, and again, it depends on the time of year. Um, when it's really nice out, it's usually till like nine, nine 30. And then we go outside and we do everything outside that we did inside. Um, <laughs> just new things to just, play with. Yep. Yep. It's like, yeah. we just view it as a classroom outside. It's not a yeah. playground. It's an outdoor classroom and they're learning yeah. through play out there just as much as they're learning indoors through play. Yeah. Um, So yeah, nine or 10, depending on the time of year, we say five minutes till cleanup time. Um, Oh, also in that free play time is snack. And we have all the children bring their own snack and their own lunches because we aren't, we don't have a licensed kitchen and so we can't serve food. So they all have to bring their own snacks and their own lunches. And, and do you like to have like a set time when the kids eat snack or are they allowed to eat their snack whenever they want? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. During that phase of the morning. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Because everybody has a different rhythm. Everybody has a different when that their tummy's hungry. So yeah. when you're hungry, you go get your snack and we do leave like a table open. Or if we notice okay. a kiddo's going to grab their snack and there's not a table open, we'll ask, do you need me to clean off a spot for you? Um, and then get them situated. And usually once one get, grabs their snack, then like 10 others decide they're hungry too. <laughs> um, and do you have like little sections that's like theirs like a little locker or a little shelf like mm-hmm. with their name and that's where they put yep. their snack and they so they obviously can go access it at any time yep, yep. Okay, yeah cool. so they actually have cubbies and things too but we have they all bring a lunch box or like a lunch bag and then we have them set it on we have like a cart that's got like three levels that has wheels and we have them take their lunch out of their that's one of the first things they do in the morning after they check in or before they check in is to grab their lunch out of their bag and they put it on that cart so that they're all in one place and then it's easier for the teachers at lunchtime to just grab all the lunch boxes and set them on the tables because we mm. at lunch generally we set them when they're outside playing one teacher will stay in and they will set all the lunches out and we do that you know, I mean, you get to know the kids and you know, who's yeah. going to eat around who and who's not going to eat when they're next to who and, yeah. um, yeah. who needs to sit right next to a teacher so that they, that we make sure that they actually eat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like on a rolling cart. Um, okay. So yeah, snack and then clean up five minutes. till clean up, uh, clean up is not a developmentally appropriate time for young children. So the teachers at that five minute call furiously clean and try to get as much done as they can in that five minutes of all the things that kids aren't using anymore. We are okay. not a program that makes children clean up in be- like if they're done playing with something, we don't make them clean it up. If we okay. notice that they're That's done really and it's, yeah, if we notice that they're done and they haven't played with it for a while, I might move over and like put it all back in a basket just so that it's um, not so overwhelming if a new kiddo wants to come and play with those materials. 
Um, but otherwise we clean furiously and, and then after the five minutes, we start a cleanup song and the children then help. And, um, some kids help a lot. Some kids don't help at all. And that can be super frustrating for a teacher as well. But I think if you recognize that, like, it's not quite developmentally appropriate for a three-year-old to clean up for 15 minutes and stay totally engaged in cleanup. I mean, yeah. I can't even do that at home. So, no. so I, it's so interesting to hear you say it's not developmentally appropriate. I've never heard that before because you only ever hear that like it's important to get the child involved in the cleanup, cleanup, and they must learn that they can't just leave their stuff lying around. And um, like, maybe talk well, to me a little bit more about. Yeah. Well, that. I mean, I think that you'll learn eventually, like um, that you need to like clean up and leave your stuff not laying around because um, maybe you left your piece of art on the table and then somebody threw it away. And so you're going to learn from that. Um, if you didn't put your name on it, like we don't know whose it is. And when other kids are cleaning up the table, they don't know that you made that. And so it could get thrown away. And so you learn from that experience, like, Oh, I can't leave my art on the table. I need to go put it over here. Or, um, when you get to like your teenage years and you, your room is a disaster. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, like, you have friends who want to come over, you're going to clean your room because you don't want them to see that like your underwear are laying all over the floor. So I think it's, (laughs) it's just a natural part of life. Like you, you learn and it might take longer if you don't like enforce the issue, but also maybe you won't have people who are completely like anti-cleanup because they were forced. They haven't been forced. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely something I'm still learning. And, um, I mean, I think when we first opened, it was like, everybody has to help clean up and we all need to make sure that we're pitching in and Mm. you can put this stuff away and you can do this stuff. And then getting frustrated when they would just kind of sit there and not act, not do it. Mm. Um, but now we very much shifted into a model more where it's like, help up, help clean up. If you want to, it's really helpful. If you help us clean up and get done faster mm. and we go outside. Um, mm. and yeah, I, there's, um, a man by the name of Dan Hodgins who actually, he doesn't clean up like when he was teaching, he did not ever clean up until the very end of the day. And then wow. the teachers would do it. Sure. And to me, that is so overwhelming because mess makes me yeah it makes me anxious as well yes so I like and I can't imagine what it would do for some children too and also with licensing regulations and nap time um we can't have stuff all over the floor it has to be a clear path for licensing rules between all the cops and whatnot so anyway um, okay so so back to the schedule so then they go outside at like half past nine, 10 ish. Uh, so like, yeah, cleanup is between nine and 10. And then we do like a small group time and we have the kids kind of split into developmental groups. And again, they don't have to participate, but generally they all do because like, it's exciting. We make it exciting. So it's like storytelling mm. or puppetry or, um, fun finger plays, songs, reading a story, um, fun games, Simon says. So we do mm-hmm. like a group time activity. And then we, uh, um, go to the bathroom and get all our stuff on and go outside. And yeah. then we spend anywhere between an hour 
to two, depending on the weather outdoors. Um, and also like, depending on the mud situation or the water situation, it just, it all depends. So, mm-hmm. um, so we spend all that time outside again in free unstructured play. And then we come in and get undressed, get all our gear off. And then they have lunch and the teachers sit and have lunch with the kids. Um, so lunch usually happens about noon, 12. Yeah. About noon. And then, um, it's rest time after that. So while the teachers kind of clean up after lunch, the children will sit on their cots or in little groups together and they'll read or they'll do puzzles, just kind of quiet activities while the teachers get cleaned up. Usually there's one teacher who will just sit down and read out loud to the kids and Mm -hmm. kids will gather around. And, um, once everything's cleaned up and everybody's gone to the bathroom, then it's rest time and our program, they have to rest per licensing. So they have to be on a cot for 30 minutes And then if they're not sleeping after 30 minutes, they have to be allowed to get up. You can't force them to stay on their cot if they're not sleeping for longer than 30 minutes. What is a cot? Is it like a little mattress? Yeah. So it's like, um, yeah, it's like this little thing that sits on the floor that they sleep on. It's like, it's made out of like a mesh material that can be sanitized and they all bring their own blankie and their own pillow and they keep that in their cubby. Um, And yeah, so then they rest. A lot of kids fall asleep. We're very much a believer in that children will sleep as long as their body needs them to sleep. Um, but sometimes parents have different ideas about that. They, you know, they maybe want their kids to go to bed at an earlier time, or they don't want to fight bedtime because their kiddo took a nap. So some Mm -hmm. parents will ask us to wake their kids up and after a certain time. And so we honor that. And because that's what the parents want us to do. Yeah. And then we do, then when they go back outside and they're outside for the rest of the day until, um, well, a bunch of our kids leave at three, but then we have a bunch of kids that stay till five fifteen or are picked up between three and five fifteen. Okay. We can pick up any time in between three and five fifteen. So generally if it's nice out, they'll be outside from like two to four. Um, 4:30. Sometimes it's until 5:15. Just depends on the weather, but we try to spend as much time as possible outside in the awesome. afternoon as we can, um, and go inside if need be. And then yeah. there's another snack served in the afternoon. And in terms of um, activities, so is there ever a time when you're expecting every kid to create or complete the same thing? No. So in so in terms of like documentation I guess Mm -hmm. you'll be taking a lot of photographs of like say the Mm -hmm. progressive art that the children are engaging in and then obviously each child will have like I'm assuming a profile do you use seesaw as an app or do you use Um, some kind of app like that yep okay so we use sandbox um we take photos yeah of what the kids are doing I also found a different I I'm not like a I don't really enjoy digital documentation I'm more of a like um, I have like a journal that I actually do like my own teacher journal where I will like find kind of one thing to focus on, you know, every few days or something. And I will just sit and I will observe and I will take pictures and I will write down what the kids are saying. And I will, um, put pictures in that journal I'll, okay. uh, that I took during that time. Like I'll print them off and I'll 
tape them in there. And then I'll actually like leave that journal out at the end of the day when parents pick up so they can look through it if they want to. Um, sometimes kids add to that. Sometimes like I'll do something in our group time in it. Um, write down what kids are thinking, um, write down my own observations, write down things that points out the learning so that parents can see, um, what is actually taking place when they're stacking blocks 10 high, you know, things like that. So, um, I think everybody has their own style of documentation and it takes a while to kind of figure out what works really well for you and your are they, own learning type. Are there like learning profiles that you take note of? Like, are you, are you, are you expected or required or I don't know, do you like sort of mark like, like whether it's risk taking or caring or, you know, like, I guess that's part of the IB learner profile. Yeah. So yes and no. So with our documentation, no, it's strictly photos and little stories about what's happening that points out some of the learning. And those are the things that we show parents. Um, but we do have in our state, we have to do two conferences with parents a year. And we, I actually created a whole entire, um, document based on our Minnesota childhood, really the indicators of progress, the benchmarks. And I, um, created this Basically, it's an assessment tool, but mm-hmm. we don't actually like ever sit down and test children. So we will notice if a child is doing something or can do something, or we've seen them do it. We know they're capable of doing it. And once we see that they have met that benchmark, we'll cross it off or okay. yeah. And then mm-hmm. that packet, I mean, it's like 15 pages follows them from the time they start with us to the time they end with us. So some children are with us three full years. They're with us three, four and five. Some are with us just for one. And so, um, the packet is set up so that they can have six, um, six conferences and we use a different color marking utensil every time we do it so that we can see, um, how old they were when they met those certain things. So, um, yeah, this, so Um, I know you were interested in my, the, the blueprint for starting a child, an early childhood program. And I said, it's a lot geared towards the United States and our own like business structure. But I really feel like you could learn so much from my play-based learning masterclass. Like, I know. So I actually wanted to talk about that because literally that's like starting on Monday. So I'm very interested in it. And I wanted to ask you, I I see that like part of the masterclass is, um, zoom sessions, which I'm assuming are going to be like at a time when I'm probably in la la land. <laughs> yes. You're, you're not the only one. There's so many people reaching out to me from across the world saying, okay. I want to be part of these live zooms, but the time does not work for me. So I'm trying to figure out a workaround for that. Normally okay. we, well, um, people join and then, um, we, I record it and then I post it or send out the link the next day so that anybody can watch it. However, I'm realizing that there's a need for me to do a different time based on different time zones. So I'm not, I want to be able to do something. I just don't know what that looks like yet. I haven't had time to wrap my brain around it, but somebody from Japan just asked me the same thing. And Japan is like, even that's like eight hours before me. So Japan must be like literally 16 hours ahead of you. I know. So I got to fit. I I don't know. I got to figure out. (laughs) <laughs> well, and you then, need to just clone yourself. I know. So, one at uh, like 9 a.m. <laughs> we had, I had a woman from 
Brazil in my beta course is I did a whole entire round of this same course just as a beta test to get yeah. feedback on like what works, what doesn't, like what to add, what they need to know more of, all of those things. So we are just we just wrapped that up last week. And um we had a woman from Brazil and she would come in every night. She was it was like eleven o'clock at night her time or ten o'clock. It was like three hours later. So she was always up so late, but she made it, she did it. Yeah. And then there was one woman from Spain, she's from Barcelona. And she kept saying, oh my gosh, I want to like get up in the middle of the night and meet all of you guys. And so the last night we had like a Zoom party to wrap oh. up and we all, you know, brought our own beverages and whatever. And we did a Zoom party and she showed up. She oh. set her alarm for 2 a.m., to wake up so she can meet us it was so amazing cool because I was thinking like I'll I'll probably do that because I I don't know what time the sessions are but I'm assuming it's like 6 p.m on a Monday or something yeah there's 7 p.m central time okay so so it'd be like in the middle of it it would be like three in the morning for me yeah um but I mean at the moment so I literally resigned my job at the moment I don't have a job so like I could totally get up at 3 a.m like what's stopping me you know so um yeah I I'm really keen um so yeah I think I, I think registration closes tomorrow right yeah tomorrow night at midnight Okay. Yeah. But so like all of these things that I'm telling you, everything is in there. Like you have access to my, all of my documentation and all of the templates, like the conference packets that I just told you about, like everything is in there. My handbooks, my things I give to parents when they tour, like there's so much stuff in there. And if you're considering starting a program, like it will jumpstart you an insane amount, even though there's not a lot about, there's not a lot about business model and stuff in there, but um, no, but that's okay. Um, to be honest, that part of it, I'm not so worried. My brother is like a business whiz. He entrepreneurship is like he eats that for breakfast. So he's like already been really supportive, and he's like he's very happy to help me sit down and work out the business model side of things. So yeah. I'm not as worried about that. I'm more. I think I'm more feeling overwhelmed at my lack of experience at this point. Mm-hmm. And I know that you know what this feels like. I think I just have a lot yes. of imposter syndrome that sneaks yes. up. That's like, what are you doing? You have no idea what you're doing. Like, and so I think the biggest naysayer right now is inside my own head. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I just need to like crush that down because I mean, I heard you say you worked at a church. So I'm assuming that you um, are a Christian. Um, so me yep. too. And for me, it's like very, that's a massive part of my life. And this is very much like a faith step. Like, and I'm feeling like mm. as much as I'm terrified, I also feel this like amazing peace that I'm stepping into like the true calling and the true purpose that yes. God has put in me, like just in terms of my giftings and my passion. And so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm yes. less scared about those things and I know that they'll work themselves out, but I'm more interested right now in just like that's why I'm so excited that I found your page and that you've even been willing to talk with me today. Cause yeah. I just feel like I want to like surround myself with people right now that are doing mm-hmm. the same thing and just be part yeah. of that community. Um, yeah. And Definitely. learning and growing and inspiring each other and all of that stuff. That. I think, um, a really cool thing that happened that I feel like set up the trajectory of my life to open this program. And then now to be able to share what I know with others on, you know, a digital platform. Um, When I 
so I was teaching in that traditional classroom and it was part-time and our family needed more money. And so I found somebody had forwarded me this job description of the Christian education director that was part-time working for this church. And so I applied and they wanted to hire me, but the money wasn't not what I needed to be able to be away from home and my two three kids. I had three kids at that time. Um, sure. how many do you have now? Four. I have four. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Super so mom. <laughs> 16 or not 16, 15, all the way down to six. Um, wow. and then we also have a, we're hosting a foreign exchange student from Basque country, um, Spain right now. So, sure. and you get another one from South Africa. Yeah. So our, um, one from Spain slash Basque country, he leaves in June and then, um, hopefully the other one will come in August and then he'll be with us for nine months, hopefully. So, um, so I turned the job down and then like two days later, I just had this, like, I have to do this. I don't know why I'm feeling pulled to do this. Like, you know, prayed about it. And so I actually called back and I said, I changed my mind. And I would love to take the position if it's still open. If not, I get it, but I just am feeling a pull and I had to call. And then they hadn't hired anybody. So they hired me and I would not be where I am today had I not called back. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah. So you trust that gut, you pray, you do what you feel led to do. And your whole life path, I mean, it's just going to go. Everything just steamrolls. When you trust your gut and you take risks and you do what you feel led to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kristen. I really appreciate your time and your heart and you're just so generous and I'm so Uh excited. Oh my gosh. And I love your accent is the cutest thing ever. Like I. Yours is cute. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's just. I, I mean, you like you're around people who who speak like you all day, so you're just like, oh, it's not cute. It's just normal. Same. It's mine's just normal. I think. I don't have an you. accent. You have an accent. I know, right? <laughs> um, okay. It's like I hope way I, past an hour now. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Like, do you have any other questions? I feel like there's so I much do, more. Actually, I do have one more question, mm-hmm. just about the COVID thing. How are you getting mm-hmm. around? Like kids sharing items and like, what's the, how are you getting around that? with Yeah. So, um, our biggest changes were that we uh, split the room in half. We like used our cubbies and like made a, basically a wall in between the two classrooms. So our full-time kids are on one side and they don't ever, well, they intermix outside, but they don't intermix inside. Um, and then the part-time kids are on the other side and then the teachers kind of like stay apart too. Um, all of our teachers wear masks. We, for the kids, like we are not a program that is like making kids sit in. I mean, there's like pictures of kids sitting in like taped off squares and yes, like we don't do that. So they're there for the day. We use like really safe sanitizer, um, on things throughout the day, lots of hand-washing, we had to buy like a portable sink for one side of our classroom so that they could have easy access to wash their hands. Yeah. Um, but otherwise they play with anything and everything. They, we don't make them stand six feet apart. 
Oh, they're allowed to teach teach each other. Yeah. Yep. They can touch each other. We, I mean, that's, that's developmentally appropriate and I'm not going to, I'm not going to sacrifice their needs and their childhood. Yeah. Um, we have had zero cases in our program. So So, I know your parents, because I mean, obviously like law, law is dictating a lot of these regulations, but I also think a lot of it is fear and pressure coming from parents. So have your parents all been quite open and understanding and just been like, cool, sanitizing? Yep. Yep. And yeah. So then at night we like, they sanitize everything. So they'll lay it all out and towels and spray it all down and wash it or whatever. So there is a lot of extra cleaning happening. Um, but the day feels the same to the kids and that's important to me. That's so good. That's really, really good to hear. And I'm hoping that it just gets better and better and that we don't experience like a third wave and, you know, know, just like, I know we we're lucky enough that all of, I'm actually, that's where I'm going right after this is to get my second COVID vaccine. So Oh my um, gosh, it was yeah, second I had, one. Yes, I got my first wow. one a month ago on all wow. of my staff. So we are all we drive, we're driving an hour and a half away to get our yeah. second one today. And we're actually picking up a bearded dragon for one of our classrooms too, because one of the teachers wants to get a bearded <gasps> dragon. So like an actual, like a real live lizard. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Oh my god. We, oh, we had a class bunny forever. Um, oh, if you look cute. on my Instagram highlight reel, it's the I think it's called Bounce is the name of the highlight reel, and you can see our class bunny. He was with us for oh. six full years, and he just passed away this summer. Oh. So that's what's sad about bunnies; they don't live very long. Hey, Shane. And he was like amazing. He was neutered. He. If you look at that, like he loved nap time because he would hop around <laughs> in between the cots and like the kids would like reach over and like pet him as he would go by and like scratch his ears and he'd like lay down next to some of them. Like a real life Hop on their cots and then it would freak him <laughs> out. Like the kids, he um like knew our rhythm as far as he would figure out when lunchtime was and he would run over and eat all of the things that fall on the floor. <laughs> So, oh, that's so yeah, sweet. class pets are an important part of our program, but we didn't have, yeah, we haven't gotten a bunny since bounce. Like we were so spoiled with him. We will again another day. We have a hutch, um, but I don't know. We're just not quite ready. I don't think for no. another, another one. It was yeah. sad when he died. We cried a lot. Oh, yeah, Sorry. I know. So bearded dragon. That's where we're getting Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I'm hoping that you're going to be around in the play-based learning course because I have like loved chatting with you today and I I'm going to try to figure out how I can do at least a couple sessions with other time zones. um, Yeah. Even if it's not every week. Yeah. Like we can watch the recording ones, but maybe just, yeah. For like every now and then to have a little touch base. Yes. And then I can wake up or not go to bed or whatever it may be. I don't know. We'll, I'll figure something out because I want, I want as many people as possible around the world to be able to have this play based. Yeah. We're just growing. We're just growing the magic. That's what it's all about. Yes. I love that. We're growing the magic. We are. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Nikki. Also, We have the same last name too. I know. How amazing. I know. It's so felt different, but that was crazy. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, they have Peterson's in South Africa. <laughs> like that's like, I mean, it's a it's European my, name. It's my husband's surname. So I can't, it's not my birth surname. I'm married to uh, Mr. Peterson. So, okay. So yeah. what's your birth surname? Um, LaRue. 
It's it's yeah weird. L E R O U X. Okay. Um, originally French way back yes. in the day, but now okay. quite yeah quite a common South African surname actually. Um, oh. But yeah, so Aww. I'm still I'm, I've been married for three years this year, so I'm still getting used to the fact that I'm actually a Peterson. <laughs> I'm not a Larue anymore. So <laughs> I've been I've been married for. I don't know, like 19 years, 18 years. Wow. Um, wow. My my maiden name is Bolton, B-O-L-T-O-N. So okay. I, I don't even know where that originates from. I think it's like a English name, ah, I think. Yeah. Sounds so. English. Well, yeah. we married good men with good we surnames. Did. Yes, we did. <laughs> okay, Nikki, it was so okay. nice to meet you. Thanks for the thank good conversation. You. And we will oh, talk soon. You. Yes, and enjoy okay. your weekend. <laughs> Be safe. Yeah, okay. bye-bye. Bye. Hey, I need you to do me a huge, 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 huge favor. If you liked listening and you want to be able to hear more, can you please go on to iTunes and leave me a five-star review? I would so appreciate it. And then connect with me on Instagram. It's learning.wild. We'll see you around.